0: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastic. John Baldessari is one of America's best-known conceptual artists, noted for pieces that push the boundaries of art, language, and the idea of the image. His 1971 work, I Will Not Make Any More Boring Art, commissioned by the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, or NASCAD, in Halifax, Canada, is perhaps his most famous, and was executed long distance for the cost of a postage stamp. In our winter 2021 issue, Sierra Bellows writes about John Baldessari's seminal work as an emblem of the COVID era, which is particularly poignant given that Baldessari died in January just before the pandemic began. Our conversation might be an emblem of the COVID era too, since Sierra Bellows is connecting long distance from Ottawa, Canada to our studio in Washington, DC a Canadian-American collaboration, just like the artwork. So thanks for making Conceptual Podcast Art with me, Sierra.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to do it.
0: I want to start by reading the description of the piece, and then maybe you can explain what drew you to this in particular. So John Baldessari wrote in response to this gallery request in February 1971, I've got a punishment piece for you. It will require surrogates, since I can't be there to take my self-imposed punishment, but that's okay, since the theory is that punishment should be instructive to others. The piece is this. From ceiling to floor should be written by one or more people, one sentence, under another, the following statement. I will not make any more boring art. So, what drew you to this piece?
1: Um, I I like the idea behind it. I, I like the idea that... uh that we shouldn't be making boring art. <laughs> um, and I, al- I also liked the idea that it was something that would be very boring to do. The punishment piece was made in, uh, in Nova Scotia. The woman who was kind of putting it together, um, who is sort of the curator of the show, um, she actually tried to get students from NASCAD to come and do the words on the wall. And, uh, it was really hard. No one wanted to do it. Um, and so she ended up doing a lot of it herself. Um, but then pulling in an occasional student, um, who would do it for a few hours. But, um, the gallery space was an annex and they wanted to fill the entire walls. And so it took days. Um, I think that it was like a seven day period where they did the writing. And two of the students who participated wrote a a letter to Baldessari. And they were like, yeah, uh, thanks for letting us be part of your art. It was super boring. And so I think that maybe having the experience of boredom when you're thinking about what you're going to, uh, what kind of experience you want your viewers or your, your audience to your art to have and be like, not this. <laughs> I don't, I don't want them to look at my art and have it feel like the experience of writing I will not make any more boring art 4,000 times.
0: Yeah, it's like a do as I say, not as I do kind of piece in a way.
1: Yeah. It's also so playful, too, like to to have a paradox between what the art is saying and what the uh, process of the art making is.
0: Yeah. In, In stark contrast to what Baldessari calls it, which is a punishment piece, was the request for long distance art from NASCAD, was that specifically... We'd love to punish our students. Can you send us a conceptual piece, or was um like the punishment series something that Baldessari was doing independently already?
1: So yes, Charlotte uh, Townsend Galt, who uh, was the curator, she oh she actually hates that word though. She says she was not a curator. What um what they were doing was undefinable. Um, but uh, she just wrote him a letter and said, um, "We would like to do." an art piece with you, whatever you want. But, you know, what we have at our disposal is a room and some students. So those were the parameters. Um, and then he wrote back a letter. Um, and and he was the person who thought of a, of a punishment piece. And the other thing that they asked for when uh, they were conceiving of the show was they, they had a, a little bit of money to make a mailer to invite people to it. Um, And so Baldessari wrote out, I will not make any more boring art in his own handwriting for the mailer. Uh, And that was where the seed of the piece uh, came from.
0: So how does this piece fit in with Baldessari's work? You know, pieces that others would execute. Did Baldessari do a lot of that?
1: Something I was excited to learn was that um, the summer before he got this invitation, um, he had uh, burned almost all of his previous work. The burning was a was a piece in itself um, and he he took all these paintings from his studio, um, which was an old decommissioned movie house uh, and he took them to a crematorium and had the paintings cremated um by the workers at the at the crematorium. And he and some of his students were there to kind of document. That's an art piece that he can also kind of conceived of, but was like, it was done by people who worked at a crematorium. <laughs> um, so when he got that letter asking about doing a show in Nova Scotia, he couldn't have done a normal show anyway, because he didn't have, um, a lot of work. Um, but yeah, he, he, at that time, he had already started doing some other pieces that were where he wasn't the person doing the labor. He did um, paintings that were text based. And so he'd come up with a text and then he would give it to a sign painter, and the sign painter would do the actual painting. He would tell the sign painters, I don't want it to be calligraphy or fancy looking. I'm just trying to get the information across. So just make it, uh, you know, standard text.
0: Yeah, I mean, the crematorium piece, which is what opens your essay for us, is really interesting to me because it stands in such stark contrast to what happens to I will not make any more boring art later on, which is it gets turned into a silk scarf, <laughs> it gets turned into wallpaper, it's on pencils, it's on shopping bags. These seem to be in tension, these two directions that his art has gone. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and like dealing with uh modernity, mass production, and kind of playing with both of those things. Um, but I, I think I really like the the even though a Korean is very dark, there's a lightness to that to, uh, to like saying I don't, I'm not attached to the objects necessarily. What matters to me is the idea. And then what he did with the ashes, he he baked them into cookies some of them and made that into another piece
0: it's also you know very much in keeping with reduce reuse recycle (laughs) also a modern (laughs) so you know I wonder this piece you know in thinking about our times like you and I are, are connecting via long distance you live in Canada I live in the States Probably, you know, our tiny magazine couldn't have afforded to fly you out anyways, we would have done this long distance regardless. But you know, in COVID times, I think the idea of distance in art becomes more poignant. And I'm wondering, in thinking of the last nine months, and how like art or the engagement with the world that you've seen has changed, do you see echoes of this particular Baldessari piece or, you know, other kinds of conceptual art?
1: I think what I, one of the things I really appreciated about the Baldessari piece was that everyone who was involved with it was, was part of the meaning making and they were all collaborating. Baldessari has the idea in California and then, um, students in Nova Scotia write on walls and then it gets printed into a art piece that is, you know, pieces of paper that could be sold by the lithograph workshop. And all these people are in different places. But they're working on the same idea and kind of contributing to the same process. And I feel like right now we're all doing that in all parts of our lives. Um, you know, people are, um, transmitting ideas and working together from different spaces. Um, you know, even, even the kids who are going to school remotely, um, you know, the, the transfer of ideas hasn't been destroyed by the fact we can't be in one place together. Um, and I think with the arts that's happening all over the place, you know, I don't know if a lot of your friends are doing this, but all the musicians I know are like constantly just live streaming themselves so that they can share their work, um, even when they have to stay in their living room. And I think with conceptual art, what's, especially appropriate for conceptual art in this time is that what matters most is the idea. And so the medium is sort of secondary. And so in a way, this is a time when it's even more powerful.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting to see art forms that really do depend on the particular medium try to adapt to this era because conceptual art, you know, this Baldessari's piece could have been done then and it could have been done now. No difference. But, you know, um, the experience of going to see dance, for example, or live theater, um, I think has been really challenging for a lot of, of artists. Are you, you know, seeing anything interesting in how these art forms are trying to adapt to a completely different medium, you know, when the original medium, like, the human form was so essential?
1: It's funny. I was driving and I was listening to the radio and they were talking about how they were going to try to do Nutcracker, the ballet in COVID times. And it seems like people are going to do it, but stream it into your house. But then, but then that's not a huge transformation. Um, it's just like a little nudge. But yeah, I, I think the thing about the Balasari piece that I think is possible with other pieces is one morning I decided to participate in it myself by writing those lines over and over and over again. Um, and I got to feel in a small way like I was part of the same art-making process that was started before I was born <laughs> um, because it has had such a long life. First, it was an idea in a letter. Then it was a process of writing on walls. Then it was a show that you could go to then it was a mailer, then it was a lithograph, and then it was on shopping bags and wallpaper. Um, Baldessari made a video, like a VHS sort of, actually I don't even know what kind, but maybe it's Betamax, of himself writing those words. And he just videotaped that until the tape ran out. And that's a piece that is shown in art museums. And so it just had all of these iterations and it just continued to change. Um, it was recreated. Um, a few times by other art students at other locations, it's exciting to think that an idea and an art piece can come back in so many forms. And and I I think it it pushes me to think about how our work can do that in other mediums as well.
0: Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about you participating in the piece by writing this over and over again, um, and the fact that like, so many people are a part of it, It means that this kind of conceptual art is the most accessible in some ways, because a lot of people can participate. Um, It's very simple. It doesn't require any special skill. You just have to know how to write with a pencil on a wall. Whereas, you know, to recreate a Michelangelo, you'd have to learn all kinds of Renaissance era painting techniques. And yet conceptual art does have a reputation as being like really abstruse and inaccessible. So I wonder how you think those concepts sit in tension in Baldessari's work, you know, accessibility versus inaccessibility, simplicity versus complexity. One of the
1: things that drew me to Baldessari initially was the fact that it was so playful and so accessible. I i didn't feel like it was trying to be smarter than me. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've had the experience of, um, of seeing contemporary art and feeling like I don't know the proper references to really appreciate what's going on. And with Baldessari, I never felt that way. And I I think that it's partly that he leads with humor and silliness. I mean, he makes art about art often, which you think might be too full of references to understand, but he does it in a pretty simple way. There's a photograph that he took. Well, actually, his wife took it. Um, but it's a photograph of Baldessari in front of a tree, but the tree's in the background, and so it looks like the tree is growing out of his head. And I guess back when people would read how to take good photographs, like photo- photography manuals, they'd say, like, be careful when you're putting your subject in the frame, because if you put a tree right behind their head, it'll look like a tree is growing out of their head. And so he, they did that on purpose and then printed the photo, and it just has wrong written on the bottom, yes, he is referencing things in our culture, but there are things that a lot of people have access to and know about he uh he had a whole series where he had people he knew point at things in national City, California, where he was from um and so it's like a it's a photograph of a finger pointing at something, and then he took those photographs to painters and asked to have like realistic renditions of them painted to make them into art. I actually think a lot of conceptual art is like that <laughs> in some ways because it's it's like it's playing with ideas and playing with your mind a little bit. I remember going to see a Yoko Ono show once and there was a ladder and you could climb it and then there was a little tiny word printed on the ceiling. And then you, but you couldn't see it from where you were. You had to grab a magnifying glass to see the word, and it was yes. <laughs> um, and it was it was it was playful, and it, it made you think a little bit differently, without being like
0: instructive and didactic.
1: Yeah, I, I I think that conceptual art is largely fun,
0: and we could all use a lot more fun right now. I think. <laughs> yes, I agree. So if we're bored and at home and need more fun. Obviously, John Baldessari, great artist to check out. Do you have any other favorite conceptual artists uh, for folks to explore?
1: Recently, I've been looking at stuff by Sol DeWitt. He and Baldessari knew each other, actually. And Baldessari once did a, a another video where he uh, took some precepts about conceptual art that Sol DeWitt had written and sang those words to different tunes in the video. Very goofy stuff, but yeah, he... What's cool about Sol de is a lot of his art was actually instructions. It's like, go to a wall, make 50 points on the wall, and then draw lines between those points according to this rule. And then when you're done, that's a Sol de piece. <laughs> you know? So a lot of his pieces, people are still making them in art galleries um after his death and they're still considered sold-to-wit pieces they're officially his because that's his method is these instructions that he gives and what i learned recently that i found delightful was he also has pieces that are gardens so he he gave instructions for certain plantings in certain shapes and designs um, and they are harder to do than on a wall. Um, but some people have successfully created them and they're beautiful because they're, they're, they look kind of like formal gardens. But when you think about them, you can see that they are an idea made real in the natural world. It tickles the mind.
0: We have links in the show notes to Sierra Bellows' essay for us, as well as uh, various images and videos referenced in the interview. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.